Amen. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 6. Revelation 19, verse 6 says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. We've been talking over the last uh, several uh, weeks. We've been looking at this passage and we've been asking the question, okay, how do we make ourselves ready for this marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come? Because this is what is to come. This is the end. This is the end that clarifies, okay, what am I supposed to do right now? All right, there's this big celebration. There's this marriage supper coming. And we're supposed to make ourselves ready, it says here. And so we've been talking about looking at different ways in which we make ourselves ready. Right. We the, the, the first week we talked about we the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize that as sinners, we're in need of a savior. That's the first step in getting ready for this massive, joyous celebration is that we need to recognize we're in need of a savior. We're in need of Jesus Christ. The second thing we talked about was we, 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 we uh, make ourselves ready when we walk in the power of the resurrection. We walk in the power of the spirit. The same spirit that was uh, in Jesus, raised Jesus from the dead three days later, is the same spirit that lives within us. And so we're called to get ready by walking in the power of that spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ. The third week we talked about we get ready by, we, uh, by submitting to the whole counsel of God. That we don't own a piece of the truth pie, but God owns the whole pie. He owns truth. We don't get a section. We don't get to define what uh, we want to define, what's advantageous for us. No, God owns the truth. It's his. We talked about how we make ourselves ready through communion. The sacredness of taking communion together and remembering the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. How baptism makes us ready because baptism is this picture, this celebratory picture of what we're going to do here in Revelation 19. We're going to celebrate. Scott talked about evangelism a couple weeks ago. Right? The passage here says, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We make ourselves ready by going out all right, and inviting people to the celebration by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And then finally, last week, Adam talked about we make ourselves ready through discipleship. All right, through discipleship, how we sit underneath the teaching of Jesus, how we learn from Jesus. We become like Jesus as we get to know him. And then we grab somebody else and we say, hey, let me show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let me show you here what Jesus is saying in his word and how this applies to your life. And so you walk this discipling relationship out with somebody. And this makes us ready. As I was thinking about this week, about this passage, you know, I've been thinking about different ways to kind of paint the picture. And this passage has been uh, painted in several lights already as we've been in this series. But I was thinking about my three-year-old daughter. 
And I was thinking about how one of her most favorite places to go is over to Jamie and Sarah Powell's house. Jamie and Sarah Powell's house is like her prized uh, possession. Like her, it, it is a massive celebration for my three-year-old to go hang out at the Powell's house. For lots of different reasons, right? There's a trampoline and the swing set in the backyard. They got all kinds of electric cars that she likes to ride around in the driveway. All right. They have a snack cabinet. All right. That is like, I don't know if they stock it just for her, um, but I think she lives in there while we're there. And she just eats all day long. And then, of course, you've got just the people. Right, just the uh, Jamie and Sarah and Ty and Brooklyn uh, spoil our kids. They spoil Joe. They love her, um, and she adores them. And so, like going over the pals is a huge celebration. It's a huge celebration, and and I know this. Me and my wife know this. And so the day before we know that we're going to go over to the pals, you know, sometimes I'll treat the pals like this reward, and I'll do this like reward parenting. Right. Hey, if we can do this today, tomorrow. Right. We'll go over the pals. If you don't do this today, no pals. All right. I don't know if that's good parenting. If you don't like that philosophy of parenting, send me an email. I'll delete it. Um, I'm teasing. All right. Um, but anyway. All right. So the pals is this big celebration for her. But what happens the morning of going over to the pals? We get to witness, I will watch my daughter get ready with such urgency. She will be up at the crack of dawn on my wife's side of the bed, face to face, like, Mom, time to get up. We're going to the house. Hey, you up? All right. She is up at the crack of dawn, ready to go. There's some urgency. Like, she's brushing her teeth on her own. She doesn't need us. She's putting her clothes on on her own. She's got her shoes. She's cooking eggs in the pan. You know, not really, but like she is getting ready by herself. She doesn't need to be told what to do. There's this urgency to get over to this celebration. And as I think about this passage and I think about the things that we've been talking about, there should be some urgency for us, for the Christian to get ready for this celebration because it's worth getting ready for. And we should be urgent about that. And so where we come to today, if you got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, Adam talked about discipleship last week. We're going to talk about discipline this week. All right. And as I say the word discipline, don't get up and go to the restroom. Don't go start doing the dishes now. Don't start doing your laundry now. All right. Discipline. You're like, oh, no, I can't. I, I, I can't sit through this. I don't want to listen to discipline. All right. I promise you sit back down. Give me a second. Give me a chance. OK, um, because discipline um, it, it, is crucial. If we don't get this piece right. All right. We will not be ready. We will not be pure. We will not be clothed in the purity that Revelation 19 talks about without discipline. It's impossible. I'm going to show you why it's impossible without discipline. Okay, so we're going to talk about how discipline makes us ready for this big celebration and why it's necessary. And as you look at, I'll get to that in a second. Here we go. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's the first piece there. That's a, for step one. All right, step one. Step two, starting in verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Step two. Step three, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile tax collector. So you see a progressive movement here. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What you see here in 15 through 17, okay, is you see this private correction or this private discipline between two people, right? And then as it progresses, then what you also see here is this corporate correction or this corporate discipline. And I'm here to tell all right, I'm here to tell you this morning, it is absolutely paramount, absolutely necessary for all of us to have private relationships in our life, in our life where somebody holds us accountable, where somebody, all right, disciplines us, where somebody corrects us, right? This is discipleship. This is what Adam talked about last week. I mean, you can't talk about discipleship without talking about discipline. It's in the word. And it's paramount that we all have these people in our lives privately, these one-on-one -on -one relationships, where this person has the freedom to correct us. This person has the freedom to hold us accountable. Well, this person has the freedom, all right, to play a part of the discipline of our life. It's paramount. I got people in my life, several people in my life, who will call me or text me and they'll show up and they'll ask those questions. And I've told them you have the freedom to ask these questions. Zach, how's your marriage? How are you doing as a husband? Have you asked your wife lately how you're doing as a husband? Zach, what are you doing with your finances? Are you being a good steward of your finances? Zach, what are you doing with your time? What are you investing yourself in? Who have you met with lately? What have you read lately that has burned your heart? What has God said to you lately? I have people in my life who ask me these questions. Hey, Zach, what sin is present in your life now that you need to kill? I have these people who ask those questions. I'm not making this up. And we all need those people in our lives who have the freedom to say those things and to ask those things and hold us accountable to those things. You need those people in your life. You also see here, see here as this progresses, it eventually leads to this corporate correction, this corporate discipline, where now the body of the church is going to hold somebody accountable collectively. They're going to correct somebody collectively. They're going to call somebody away from sin collectively, not out of discipline's sake or not out of, you know, for judgment, you know, judging somebody for judgment's sake, not out of that, out of love. 
the corporate body calls somebody to repent and flee from sin, to correct them of the lifestyle that they're currently engaged in. And it's out of love, not out of shame, not out of judgment. It's out of love. Love for what? Love for the purity of the individual. Love for the protection of the individual against Satan, against that person's own flesh. It's out of love. That's the overflow. Discipline is the overflow of love. When you look at discipline in the Old Testament, right, you think about God and his people in Israel. You think about the harsh wrath of God, the anger of God, the discipline of God. You're like, man, what about that God is loving? His discipline in the Old Testament is an overflow of his love, his love for his people, his love for his justice, his love for his righteousness. Because he loves his people and he loves what is right and he loves what is pure. He's disciplining his people as to move them along into purity. It's the overflow of love. And so when the church holds somebody accountable, corrects somebody, disciplines somebody who refuses to listen to the friend that said, hey, man, this ain't right. You got to flee from this. Or the group, hey, this ain't right. Like, you got to flee from this. The church comes to discipline and correct collectively out of love, out of love. And we've got to be careful not to let our experiences with church discipline, all right, shake us from, uh, you know, uh, you know th th this seems kind of old school to me. You know, this seems kind of aggressive. This seems kind of harsh. You know, because I've seen this abused. We can't let our experiences dictate what is true. We can't let our experiences dictate what God says that we should do as the church towards one another. And so what I want you to see here in Matthew chapter 18 and what I'm pleading with you this morning is that you would have private relationships, intimate relationships, one-on-one -on -one with people who would hold you accountable who will correct you, who will discipline you, who has the freedom to ask those questions. And then know that you are part of a church that seeks to hold people accountable collectively. That our pursuit is for the protection of the purity of the church and the sanctification of its members. And that we care about these things. We care about the church's purity. Jesus Christ died for the purity of the church. He died for the sanctification of the believer. And so if we don't care about that as the church, we're spitting on what Jesus Christ has died for. I'm pleading with you. Invite people into those spaces in your life because it's paramount to getting ready for the big celebration. Hebrews chapter 12. You got your Bibles flipped there with me. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. Why discipline? Okay, I get we're called to discipline. Why? Why does God discipline? 
Verse 5, and have you forgotten the, the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Hear that. The Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Hear that. That's, that, that is a convicting, uh, serious reality uh, verse there. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Without discipline, God's word says that you're an illegitimate son or daughter of God. That if discipline, if God's discipline as, you know, if the discipline of other people in your life is void, you are an illegitimate child of God. I was talking to my wife and my sister about this verse this week. And immediately when I read verse 8, the first question that both of them asked, and I was talking to them at separate times, but both, both my wife and my sister asked the same question. They immediately went, has God disciplined me before? That's the severity, you know, of verse 8. It's like he, he says, you're an illegitimate son of mine without my disciplinary hand. That discipline is a part of the journey of getting ready for this celebration. It, legitimate, it legitimately makes you the son and daughter of God. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. This is why he disciplines us. Listen, that we may share in his holiness. Holiness, the outcome, the purpose of discipline. When somebody else has the freedom to ask those questions to hold you accountable, holiness is the fruit of that. He disciplines for the sake of holiness. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. This is true. All discipline at the moment seems rather painful and unpleasant. I remember in college, and, and we used to spend the off season beating our bodies into the dirt in preparation for the season, in preparation for enduring the length of the season. And so it was necessary to discipline our bodies, to discipline our mind in the off season so that we would be ready to endure the length of the season. So that we would hold up when we got to the end. And it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. It seems harsh. It's like, why am I doing this? Why am I going through this? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. Those who have been trained by discipline are legitimate sons of God. And those who are trained by discipline, the fruit of righteousness is the byproduct of it. Holiness is the byproduct of it. And so this is why without the Lord's discipline, without the discipling discipline of your peers and those people that you have welcomed into your life to do that, without that, there is no getting ready for the celebration. You will not put on the pure linen. You will not put on the fine linen without discipline. It's impossible. Legitimate sons and daughters of God welcome the discipline of the Lord. It refines us. During this quarantine time, I've had some time to learn some new skills. And I started with, because uh, my daughter loves to be at the Pals. And so I'm at the Pals. And I happen to like Jamie Powell uh, as well. And so uh, Jamie Powell's a phenomenal guy. And he's a gifted guy, talented guy. And he's got this garage that is like for every uh, for, for every man's man, it's the garage. He's got every tool in there known to man, I feel like. Um, and so as we were over there, Jamie and I started working um, on some projects together. And we started doing some woodworking. You know, we were cutting them and screwing them together. And he was brave enough to give me a drill, um, power tools. Uh, it was awesome. I felt uh, I felt dangerous. Um, but anyway, we're making these projects and um, we're putting things together. We're sanding. We're, 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 we're staining. All right. We're finishing. And um, as I was sanding one of the days, I was thinking about the discipline of the Lord. How the discipline of the Lord at the moment is unpleasant and it's uncomfortable. And it feels like this pressing. All right. It feels like this pressing. And it's uncomfortable. But the outcome of that sanding on the wood is a beautiful, smooth finish. And it allows for that stain to go on smooth. And the end result of the project, because of the sanding, is just like Revelation 19. It is the fine and pure linens. It's the fine and pure linens. It's beautiful. It's right. It's good. Discipline is necessary in the Christian journey. My dad used to always tell me. I'll close with this. Um, he, he loved to read John about John Wooden. Um, and John Wooden used to say. He used to tell his players. Hey either you will discipline yourself. Or you will be disciplined. Either discipline yourself. Or you will be disciplined. By somebody else. And so he used to tell me all the time growing up because I didn't have very many formative disciplines in my life. And so, Zach, you either discipline your life or somebody else is going to do it, you pick. Somebody else is going to do it, you pick. And so I want to encourage you this morning, develop some formative disciplines in your own life. And also enter into some, some discipling relationships as Adam talked about last week and invite them in to hold you accountable. To correct you. To discipline you. It's necessary for us getting ready. And the byproduct of it. Is joy. Is peace. Is goodness. Holiness. Righteousness. Beauty. Beauty. And celebration is the byproduct of discipline. Sit. Sit in the refining fire. Trust God as he 
corrects and disciplines and makes you uncomfortable. Trust him. He loves you. It's an overflow of his love. Let's pray. God, we commit ourselves into your hands. You're the potter, we're the clay. How you choose to shape us, how you choose to mold us, where you press, what you cut off, what you prune. We give ourselves to your hand. And God, as you discipline and as you shape us and as you convict us, God, we commit ourselves to not running to safety, to comfort, but we commit ourselves to sitting still and trusting the work of your hands because the outcome of the work of your hands is beautiful. It's a beautifully stained piece of wood. It is a beautiful stain. It is a beautiful finish. It's your handiwork. We are your handiwork. So God, we commit ourselves to you. Do with us as you please. God, give us the courage to invite other people into our lives to ask those questions. What are you doing with your finances? What are you doing with your time? Is that the fruit that Jesus Christ died for? Give us the courage to invite those people in. God, we love you. We thank you. Amen.